This is Ari Davis. And today on the podcast, we're going to have Matt Bryant, the author of Main Sequence and the creator of the CarPG role-playing system. We're going to be talking a little bit about the play-by-post gaming format and how it's helped us not only get our gaming fix when adult life is hard, but also how it's helped us with our playtesting. We're also going to rant and ramble for a little bit about uh, the ideal group size, how many people are too many, and what horror stories we have for when the game size got a little too unwieldy. But before all that, we're going to have our first ever batch of call-ins. Yes, I am excited. I hope you are too, for this is the next episode of the Chaos Grenade Podcast. Mr. R.E. Davis, incoming message from Spike Pit. Well, I've done it. I'm calling in. It's uh, your high-energy production, mate. Wow. Um, Really enjoyed it. I look forward to episodes in the future. I liked your take on going through drive through and RPG now and looking at some of the uh, some of the products that are, that are coming out and you're kind of um, it's almost like an industry news vibe that you was doing I've played hero kids I'm glad you give that a shout out I've enjoyed it it was it was really popular with my little girl she liked uh, some of the crafting aspect of it making the standees coloring them into her, her own specification. Um, and yeah, I, I'm not surprised it's up where it is. Keep up the good work, mate. Look forward to future episodes. Catch you later. Colin, thank you so much for the kind words. And thank you again for giving us the shout out on the Spike Pit podcast. Spike Pit was one of the first uh, podcasts on the Anchor platform that I listened to and was a big reason why I considered this platform. So hearing those words from you is is amazing and a huge boost. <laughs> the format of last episode probably won't be a regular thing, but I hope to do something like that every once in a while. Anytime that there's something, you know, somewhere between newsworthy or just a good perspective to check out or anything like that, as long as it's somewhat positive, something constructive, I'll gladly talk about it here. Um, I'm, I'm making a promise to myself not to give any hot takes on any controversy or bullshit unless it's just absolutely necessary and if there's something positive that can be taken away from it. But, you know, we'll see. I I don't really consider myself an industry insider. I'm just some schmuck who has a lot of time to keep up with forums and whatnot and browse the internet. So, But I'm glad you're enjoying it, and I hope, you know, this episode and all the episodes afterwards, you know, live up to your expectations. Hey, this is Larry with Follow Me and Die. Finally getting around to listen to your first episode here, and your section on idea farming is spot on. I read all kinds of different gaming materials and take little bits of ideas, and uh, I think that's the beauty of the OSR is there's just, it's like a buffet. You take what you want and you leave alone what you don't want, and there's still more than you'd ever be able to use. And every once in a while, there's an idea that really grabs my interest, and I have to incorporate that into games I run. And Stars Without Number is an awesome resource. It might take a little bit of thinking, but you can take the faction idea. That's a wonderful idea. You don't need to go into that much detail necessarily, but it gives you something to think about for the background that's going on in the world while your players are out running around. 
thank you for dropping a line, Larry. And I'm glad that what I said resonated and that you agree with me. And I think that's a great term, the buffet, the smorgasbord, where you can eat all you want, leave behind anything that you don't like, and there's still more than you could probably ever chew off. And I also like what you were saying about, you know, some thinking you can adapt, you know, certain things like the faction rules from Stars Without Number into, you know, any other game. A while back, I ran a setting that I called Gutterpunk Sprawl Crawl. It, it was a, uh, it was using the Rad Hack. It was a Mutant Apocalypse rule set, but I was going for more of a Judge Dread sort of urban blight. So there was kind of a cyberpunk element there. It wasn't so much blasted wastelands, just, just gutter trash mutant slums. <laughs> and there's a really cool setting toolkit out there called Augmented Reality that is free, and you can go grab it. And it's also print on demand on Lulu. And that's a great cyberpunk city toolkit, but I use that as sort of a springboard of ideas. You know, uh, I would pretty much design my setting like it was cyberpunk, like it was this sprawling, you know, dark future metropolis. And then I would look at that and go, okay, so this is what it's like in the dark near future. So what happens after a few, you know, nuclear wars and just everything goes to hell in a handbasket beyond that? And... It was cool using that as a springboard for ideas. It worked out really well. And I'm always collecting any kind of weird monster table. Right now, Sharp Swords and Sinister Spells, the addendum, has some of my favorite uh, monster tables. And I, I, I will just collect those just because I don't want to keep recycling the same kobolds and goblins. You know, I, I, I want the really weird shit. <laughs> and the OSR provides. And it's regardless of whatever setting I'm in. Because a lot of times... I know I said this on the original podcast, it's it's fairly system agnostic. The stats are just a minor detail that's usually incorporated in these things. So really awesome setting toolkits out there. And I'm glad you agree with me, and I'm glad that everybody else seems to like the idea that is the OSR farming. So if you head over to chaosgrenade.com, click on the games menu, you can actually find a quite the selection of free games that either myself or my co-conspirator Matt Bryant have put out over the years. They're free to download, you're free to share, free to hack, they're all released under some form of Creative Commons license. Our latest offering is Drive 10, which is a pretty simple uh, D10 based role-playing game. It fits on four pages printed out. There's also a pocket mod and a booklet version. And Drive 10 was derivative of Matt's CarPG system, which is a completely diceless system using what he calls a Fate's Wheel mechanic. We're actually in the middle of uh, doing a revision of that right now. I remember when he first showed me his Fate's Wheel mechanic was mind-blowing to me because it still provided a randomized, risky uh, system without the need of dice. You could play it on the road. That was why it was called CarPG, but you could also play it, you know, on lunch breaks with your coworkers, or you know, just anywhere where dice aren't necessarily a convenience, but you still want to get your game on. And it's been cool playtesting and you know collaborating with Matt on these games, because even though he's moved out of state a long time ago, thanks to the internet and cloud storage, we've been able to share work and and even playtest with our busy schedules, thanks to. Uh, you know, the whole gaming platform that is the play-by-post. Now, when I say play-by-post, we're actually using mediums like social media, or here recently we've become huge fans of Discord, which 
A lot of people might see more as play-by-chat, but the, the reason we still use play-by-post is because we have sort of the etiquette of, you know, posting in turns and waiting for others and the ability to get up and walk away when you have to because, you know, real life keeps everybody busy. So in the spirit of that, this episode was actually recorded over several days just as a casual voicemails back and forth with one another. So hope you guys can sit back and enjoy this, and I'm going to let Matt speak. Yeah, I've really been enjoying the play-by-posts here lately. In the past, I didn't like that format as much as playing at the table, but I've come to really appreciate it. It really helps gaming fit into my life now, because I live in another state, and we're both rather busy with different things. And so it's not very um, often that I've been able to sit down at the table and roll dice here lately. I looked at the calendar, and it has been about two years since I ran something at the table last. Except for I just started a couple weeks ago with a, a new group at the table, but other than that, it's just been play-by-post. And when life gets us too busy, we can just put down the play-by-post game for a little while and then come back to it. And the nice thing is, is that all the previous game is just written down there. So I've gone back through and reread it to get back in that headspace and then just been able to, to pick it right back up. And that's something else that's great about the format is that it's all written there. There's a record of this great session. I've had so many awesome sessions at the table that I wish we had recorded somehow, but with play-by-post, you can go back even years later and read through this great adventure. And yet another nice thing about having it written is that you have time to mull over what you're going to post. If I'm running a game and a player throws me a curveball, I can mull it over for an hour. Heck, I can sleep on it if I want to, instead of having to deal with that improvisationally on the spot, which I really enjoy doing at the table, but it's also nice to not have to sometimes. We all know that the written word is different than the spoken word, so you can kind of get a different atmosphere with a play-by-post. You can get more literary with it, take some time to sew in some more metaphor and all that, to get a lot of drama going in a, in a way that you really can't when you're speaking at the table. Not to say that it's better. You can get a lot of drama in at the table, being able to have voice inflection and body language. It's just that it's different, and I've grown to really appreciate that. Something that I've grown to appreciate is the sheer accessibility that Play-By-Post offers today, especially with the social media platforms and chat programs like Discord. When I originally started doing this kind of stuff, I lived out in the sticks, had a crappy internet connection, and the game time was only whenever I was able to sit down and log on and go check things out. And either the games were at a snail's pace to the point to where everybody just got burned out and lost interest, or things were so rapid fire that whenever I'd have to go to school or go to work, I'd come home and I'd just be totally lost in where I was at in the game, to the point to where it was almost impossible to hop back in unless I was the guy running it. But now today, whether we are playing through Facebook groups or chat or how we've been doing it lately, Discord, it's been awesome because we can take the game with us. Uh, things update us on our mobile device and we can choose, 
our level of involvement. But even then, with Discord, it's been really nice being able to kind of separate out the channels and having, you know, here's where we're going to do our table talk, here's where we're going to keep our reference uh, files and PDFs and character sheets, and here's where the game's actually going to play. And what I've loved about that is how we can check in and say, hey, I'm going to be busy today, but it doesn't interfere the flow of the game. And we can just hop right back into it. Everything's nice and organized. And I feel like it's really helped, especially now that I'm a full-time dad, with how we've been playtesting our new systems. I like playtesting with Play by Post because just given the natural pace of the game, it's not really a big disruption when we have to stop and figure out how this new rule set will work in these certain situations. If we have to stop, go into the out-of-character post, or even just do uh, parentheses in the in-character post and figure out how does this skill apply, do we roll with advantage here, or can we spend edge on this, or whatever, it's just, it just fits right in with the, with the flow of a play-by-post game. It's not a big deal, not a big imposition. I will say one of the things that I loved when we were doing all of our little like micro games of Drive 10 and testing those rules out as I was trying to build and develop it was when we changed a rule or when we decided that something needed to be nerfed or tweaked or when we wanted to try out a different mechanic. We have a log of it. It's not like when we do something different at the table and then we go home, sleep and go, oh, well, what the hell did we do that fixed that? It's nice being able to have that reference during a play test to go back and say, oh, well, this is how this was working and this is how we fixed it, so I'm going to go update my file now. That, that was a godsend with Drive 10, and I'm sure you're having similar experiences as you're revising uh, Fortune's turn. Oh, yeah. And one thing that I like that we've done uh, twice was where we kind of mixed formats. Like we had a play-by-post Star Wars game going on, and then we met up when I went down to uh, visit you guys down in Texas, and we finished the adventure in person. And then another time when it was me, you, and Johnny, we were doing a play-by-post, and then we all got some time in our schedule, so we sat down, did a Discord voice chat, and uh, finished the session that way. So that was kind of cool to be able to go back and forth, too. For most folks, they don't really care for play-by-post because it's too slow. It doesn't keep the same pace as a tabletop game, and that's fine. But I'm hoping that maybe some folks who are listening today might be willing to give it a second shot. Or perhaps they've been looking for a way to get some gaming in to their busy schedule, and this just sounds like a very convenient format. So I'd like to share some of my tips for how I like to run my games. Granted, this is all subjective, and your mileage may vary. The first thing you want to consider is what platform you want to base your game on and to learn the strengths of that platform. I prefer sticking to social media groups like Facebook and on MeWe, and here lately Discord has been our, my main go-to, mostly because they have mobile apps, so right off the bat I can stay engaged with the game wherever I go. If you're playing on Facebook or MeWe, you can start up a private group, and what's cool about the private groups is they come with their own chat channels. And what I like to do is use the chats for the table talk and then keep all the game uh, information and posts in the group. And remember that group posts are threaded. What that means is you can reply to a comment on a main post. So what I like to do 
is I like to use the post itself to set up the scene and then have it to where everybody replies within the scene in the comments. And then if I need something like dice rolls or checks, I can give a threaded reply and it doesn't break up the flow of the narrative. This is also handy whenever you're running combat because you can have just one primary combat scene and everybody can respond in turn. Like you can have an entire round of combat as a comment and everybody replies as a threaded statement to that round. Discord operates a bit differently because it's all, it's pretty much chat based, but there's a huge advantage with it. What we do is for every campaign, we set up a new uh, Discord server. Big reason for that is because you can change your nickname and just keep everything organized and set to that campaign world. We keep the main chat for table talk, and usually I create a reference channel, and that's where we'll put up any of the PDFs that we're sharing, or any of the character sheets, any of the player handouts. And then each adventure or gaming session will get a channel to devoted to itself. And we will play through that as the adventure unfolds, and then when we're done with it, I like to create a sort of archive group, like they have little chat groups or categories or something that you can create. So I will create an archive and I will move the chats there so I can save it for reference later. Optionally, if you're real big about dice rolling, Discord does have various dice bots out there. And I found out that some of them you can even program to do things like playing cards. So if you're playing Savage Worlds, that'll come in handy. And the great thing about all of these platforms is they allow easy image posting within the chat or within the post. So right off the bat, Google Images becomes your number one impromptu player handout source. Now, it is handy to go ahead and uh, prepare a little bit ahead of time. So definitely take advantage of creating what I like to refer to as a mobile GM screen. I like to use OneNote. Sometimes I'll use Google Docs or OneDrive. But it can even be as simple as what you know Matt Bryant does when he was running our Star Wars themed game. His whole campaign was pretty much on like a single sheet of paper that he kept folded up in his wallet. But using a digital solution, you can plan ahead. So if you know that particular scenes or areas are going to have certain descriptors to them, and if you want to have certain images on hand, you can just go ahead and prep that. So should the players arrive at a certain point while you're out and about and you're killing time and checking your phone, you can quickly copy and paste and post that stuff. That said, biggest piece of advice that I can give is don't sweat the details. I know I mentioned that Discord has dice bots. We don't really use them. We roll on the honor system. The guys that I play with, I trust them enough. We're the kind of players where failure is just as interesting, sometimes more interesting than success. But even if you want to check on dice rolls, you can use mobile apps, you can use websites, and I usually like to screen cap with a, where you can see you know, the time date stamp. I will normally post that out of politeness anytime I make a crit, and I'm like, there's no way I, I rolled this high already. And I know a lot of people like to stress out over virtual tabletops and minis and maps. I don't use any big, you know, thing like Roll20 and make people log into that shit. Whenever I have the need for maps, I honestly just whip something cheap up, and I'll either draw it in OneNote, or if I have the time to do something, you know, more detailed and elaborate, I'll just sit down. I use Paint.net, and what I'll do is I'll have the map as a bottom layer and then I'll have a transparent layer that I'll put all the you know miniatures quote quote you know little pog images and I'll just use the lasso tool and move those guys around as needed. 
but for the most part we like to kind of stick within a theater of the mind so most of the time I don't really need maps I can just briefly describe what's around maybe throw up a Google image of some kind and now for the big one that I know a lot of folks are going to inquire about how do I handle combat well as I said before my philosophy is quick and dirty I like to keep things with simple group initiatives um, the different methods I've used before with much success I like the OSR group initiative style, the whole BX roll 1d6 for your group. Either the players are going first or the monsters are going first. Another method I like that you've seen in some Black Hat games, and I think Cypher System uses this, is the whole rolling, you know, an initiative check and pretty much breaking everything up into either going before the monsters or after the monsters. My favorite initiative system that I've used I actually have taken the Shadow of the Demon Lord approach and just applied that to whatever game we're running. If you're not familiar with the concept, it's simply you're either taking a, a, a short action or a long action. Long actions are when you're doing something like I'm going to move over here and attack or you're doing something complicated like spell casting. Whereas a short action is just doing one thing. I move. I swing my axe. I shoot my bow. And the idea is to go short actions first, long actions second, and the players always go between the monsters in those phases. When we were gaming over Facebook, that was a dream, especially with the threaded thing, because what I did from there was I pretty much just told my players to post their intent. Let them declare ahead of time at the beginning of a turn or a round what they're going to do. And from there, try to decide, well, what are the, how are the monsters going to be reacting and in what order. Get the roles from the players as needed, and then provide them a narration of how the scene went down. And to me, that flows a lot smoother than the standard, okay, your turn, what are you doing? Well, I do this. Well, okay, I need a roll. Okay, I roll this. Okay, well, this happened. Next. Just get it all out of the way at once and figure it all out at once. And you can't tell me that even the crunchier game systems can't work that way. I've played GURPS. There are solutions. <laughs> but of course, the big thing in all of this is have fun and make sure that everybody is staying engaged and keep the communication going even outside the game. There's a lot of times where you've been playing and things have just gotten intense and heated and then something happened and I had to be like, guys, I gotta step off for a couple days. I hate that. But your players will generally understand and it's usually better to communicate and maybe try to rearrange a time for the game to get picked back up than to leave everyone hanging and wondering what's gonna happen or who's gonna go next. And that's pretty much it. Just keep your players engaged, know the system, know the platform that you're on, and play to those strengths. And of course, keep your players interested and make sure that everybody is participating. Well, I will say this about play-by-post, and I think it's its biggest drawback, is the, the more people that you add in, you exponentially increase the chance that the game is just going to crash. For each new person, just the, the chances of the game grinding to a halt just shoots up astronomically. And that's no one's fault. That's just the nature of the game. It's, you know, just having to coordinate more schedules and more people can get busy. So it's important to keep the groups small. <laughs> oh, I agree totally. <laughs> Just like with tabletop, I would prefer to do my play-by-posts with a very small, active, and attentive group than with a large group of people who are just half there. 
I hope I get his name right. David Sherdwin, uh, the guy behind Technical Grimoire, he made a post on G Plus a while back uh, talking about his rules for play-by-post games over Discord and Slack. And to keep it simple, it was you have 24 hours to respond, first off. Otherwise, the game moves on without you. And when the group comes to a forked decision, you know, everybody can contribute which way that they want to go. And then they take a vote on it using the emote system where you can like the messages. And so whichever suggestion gets the most likes, that's the way the game heads. So I think that would be good for, you know, a good group of like four or more players. You know, taking a little detour here in the conversation, though, I just kind of want to say that even at the table, I don't like having a lot of players. I usually prefer to like four players is my sweet spot and six players is my limit generally. But I'm really happy with three players and hell, like a couple weeks ago, you know, I ran our friends, the Dragers, and, you know, it was just me running them like two people. And that was great. And I feel like the smaller number groups, it's a lot more intimate and it's a lot more engaging and when you get into the larger groups, it becomes a huge game of wait your turn, and it drives me bonkers, you know, as a player and a DM. And I know that you've had a large group here recently, and that was a little taxing on you, so I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts on the ideal gaming group size is. Oh, I'm right there with you, man. For me, the ideal gaming group size is two players or three players. Any way that I can set up a triad. You know, the Blue Man group is three guys for a reason. Because the social dynamic that it sets up. So if I have two players, then I can have an important NPC help set that up. Or I can have some sort of dynamic duo going on. Or if there's three players, then they set that dynamic up themselves. And also... I'm really big into immersion. So what you're talking about with the, you know, having to just wait your turn, that just, I I really don't like how that takes you out of the game. And I've had really good games where it was just me and one player. There's a really fast back and forth. But big bigger groups are cool too especially if everyone gels well together everyone's on board no one is terribly disruptive then you can keep a good flow going you can keep a good pace going one thing that i do to even small groups uh whenever someone's taking too much time to decide what their character is going to do especially in a combat i tell them you have 5 seconds to decide what you're doing and I'll hold up my fingers and do a countdown. Because their character isn't going to have that much time to think about what they're doing. They, the player, shouldn't then just sit on it for three or four freaking minutes. They should, you know, let's do this. I mean, I like to keep the game moving fast enough to where people don't start taking their cell phones out. And I guess I don't have a problem with that if they have ADHD or something. But if it's just out of boredom from twiddling your thumbs because it's going to take 30 or 45 minutes before it's your turn again, that to me um, isn't as fun. And of course that also depends on the players themselves and the type of game that we're playing. Am I going for more of a classic feeling dungeon crawl 
or a really niche, genre-specific, collaborative storytelling sort of thing. See, the former fits with a larger group much more easily than the latter. So yeah, back to the main question. One player, two players, three players, that's my ideal group. But up to six is pretty doable. So what is the most ridiculous group size that you have ever played in? For me, it's a dozen, and it's happened twice. I ran a game, and I've played in a game with about a dozen players. The game that I ran, it was just a one-shot of Shadowrun, and just a shit ton of people showed up. And it kind of sucked because there were like two players who were really hardcore into Shadowrun, and had read a lot, and have played a lot. And they were stealing the show. They, they kept interrupting everybody. They kept trying to take the lead. And everybody else were like friends of mine that I have brought into Shadowrun. And they were just kind of rolling their eyes towards the end of it. I even had a friend whose character was just trying to commit suicide in the game by doing the most ridiculous deaths he could possibly do. Oh, crap. You ran a group of a dozen? Jeez. And as for the group that I played with, it was actually a campaign of us like a dozen of us that we got together pretty regularly and gamed. And I'm surprised that it worked that way. <laughs> it was a uh, third edition Dungeons and Dragons right when it came out and it had a cool story. And honestly, all the peeps who were in the group were pretty cool. It's just that a dozen players took for freaking ever. And there was also the issue, like I was the youngest, I was in high school, but everybody else was working adults, like fresh out of college. And we didn't even start playing until usually midnight when everybody got off work. So there were a lot of times I fell asleep just because it took forever to come back around to me. And I remember one time having to wake up and then going, Hey man, can you pull a ballista string? Yeah, my ranger's got a 17 strength. Why? Well, the dragon's attacking us. What dragon? The one attacking the boat. What boat? Well, the largest group I've ever run was probably six or seven. And I've already discussed how that's still manageable, just a little less uh, immersive and fast. And the largest group I ever played in was either 12 or 13 people. And yeah, that was um, that was pretty much a headache. Like, like what you're saying, that you had such a large group that you end up having different subgroups in it with their own motivations. Like I remember this one chick and her boyfriend, they didn't even want to be playing this module. So they kept trying to derail the adventure... Whereas me and some other people really wanted to play this adventure. And so she would do stuff like, well, I'm just going to stay in the hotel then. And yeah, so it was, it was a, a weird dynamic that got set up. And that poor Harry GM, it was worse than trying to herd cats for him. I mean, he was exhausted, I'm sure, every night. And I don't blame the chick and her boyfriend for wanting to play a different kind of game. It's just if that's the case session after session after session, then split off into a different group, play at a different time. Why keep playing in a game that you hate and throwing a wrench in it for everybody else? But yeah, there was no immersion whatsoever. Like the tactical-minded power gamer sitting next to me looked over at me like I had poop smeared on my face whenever I tried to actually role-play being a cop. We got into combat, and so I tried to restrain somebody, and he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, playing my character. And honestly, in that game, in that setup, he had the better mindset. Now with this current group of six that I'm running, 
I'm going to have to do something that, for me, is really out there, really fancy and complicated. I'm going to have to start using minis. And I prefer to keep things in the theater of the mind, but if the players can't keep track of what's going on, then that's not necessarily a whole lot of fun. Now, in the past, I would just use a whiteboard. Like, I have an 8x11... <clears throat> I have an 8x11 whiteboard that I carry around in my GM screen. But with that many people at that big a table, they can't all see it. Alright, well this episode went on way longer than I anticipated, but thank you guys for sticking it out. I'd like to thank Colin from Spike Pit and Larry from Follow Me and Die, two really great podcasts here on Anchor. You should check them out. And of course I want to thank again Matt Bryan for calling in and helping me flesh out this episode. It's been really good to hear from him. He has seriously been in the background and the co-conspirator of the Chaos Grenade for years. So I'm really happy that he's kind of taking some time to step out into the spotlight and lend his opinion. I hope we get to hear from him more often. If you got any questions or comments or just want to deliver some feedback or suggestions, please, if you got the Anchor.fm app, drop us a voicemail or a call-in or whatever the hell we call it on this format. If not, you can follow us at chaosgrenade.com. Check out the uh, post for this episode, and I will provide links and notes to everything that we talked about. You can leave comments there, or you can follow us on social media. You can look for the Chaos Grenade on Facebook, Twitter, and now on MeWe. So I look forward to hearing from everybody. Iron Sworn episode will be coming up. Almost, almost at a good spot for that. And uh, yeah. Until next time, I will see you guys on the next episode of the Chaos Grenade Podcast.